I'm excited about um, something a little different this morning. I'm going to talk for a little bit, and then we're going to have some of you come up and, and have a panel and talk a little bit as we celebrate Sanctity of Life Sunday and, and talk about Sanctity of Life today. Uh, I've appreciated just all the, the ways I've seen Village getting together this week as family. And last week, our challenge was to think of ourselves as family, and as family, we go. So whatever we do, to think of it as family. And so I know some of you have posted pictures, and we've gotten together for various ministries. Okay, this is my attempt to, to be young and cool. <laughs> don't, don't do it. My kids are like, don't even try, Dad. If you, if you take pictures of village functions and people together at village, if you could hashtag it village family, um, and then we can all, you can do a search on Facebook and see all the places where it says village family, and it's, it's really good. I, w- I was going to take a selfie with family this morning, but um, I forgot my selfie stick. Is that what they're called? Yeah. See, see cool, young. Um, no. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah, Mark's always like, stop trying, Dad. Just, just, just stop. But today, like I said, is Sanctity of Life um, Sunday. And the third Sunday of, of January, some churches celebrate it today, some churches next week. And, and we want to, to continue to do that. Last year, we talked about abortion. And we talked about a, a case against abortion, outlined a biblical case, outlined a scientific case against abortion, how you could talk to friends and family about that. Because that is one of those arguments that is incredibly winnable right now because science and medicine is on our side. And so I encourage you, if you didn't hear that, to go back to the sermon archives, listen to last year's message, and, and to, to just brush up on, on our arguments against abortion and, and why it is so important to preserve life. But when we talk about sanctity of life, what we're talking about is honoring and protecting life from conception to death. And so it's not just abortion or the unborn that we want to talk about, but the whole range of issues that fall in there. On this last election cycle, we saw on so many ballots things like a right to die movement and and assisted suicide. And we're going to be dealing with more and more euthanasia and other types of things like that. These are all sanctity of life issues because we believe that God created mankind in his image. And really, there's not much more we need to argue. Because as created in His image, life is to be cared for, preserved, and honored. Because we are in His image. One of the criticisms against um, pro-lifers sometimes by the pro-abortion movement is, all you care about is saving the unborn child, but what are you doing for them afterwards? How are you helping these mothers that are in desperately difficult situations? How are you helping these kids that don't have homes or are born into homes where families can't take care of them? And you know what? They have a point. And that is a just criticism of the pro-life movement in America, in my opinion. But what I see happening is churches are rising up to say, not us. We do care about life. We care about life not just the unborn life, but these kids that need homes, these kids that need fathers and mothers and to be cared for. And so today, that's where I want to go. I want to talk about the kids that that are in helpless situation, these kids that sometimes don't have a mom and dad, or mom and dad have died, or mom and dad are are incapable of caring for them for a lot of reasons. We live in a Genesis 3 world, don't we? And it is a messed up world, and so many times these helpless children are the ones that that bear the brunt of that. 
And so what can we do as a church? What can we do as a family of God to, to blunt that situation, to attack that, and to see these kids have homes and have life and have success? One of the things, I was talking with someone yesterday, and we were talking about foster care and adoption in Orange County, and their church is doing a lot with it, and they know a lot about villages. They go, wow, for, for a, a church of 200, you guys have a lot of people fostering and adopting. I'm like, praise God. That is part of our DNA as a church, and I am so thankful for how many of you have stepped up and, and taken part either in fostering, adopting, or, and catch this, supporting those that do. So you might come today and you might think, okay, this is going to be one of those sermons where he says, if every family in this church would take in a child, we'd be fine. That's not what I'm going to do today. In fact, if you're not called to adopt, and if you're not called to foster, please don't. You're like, well, how does that fit into to sanctity life? Because it is a challenging, it is a challenging task that God has to, to call you out for. Now, if you are called and you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, then you better act on it. So, so we need to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. But what I want to do today is to say and to show through Scripture and then through our panel that the heart of God is turned toward these helpless children. And while not everyone is called to foster or adopt, Every Christian is called to care about the fatherless. Every single one of us. So, as we talked about last week, as family we go, how do we do that as a church family? How do we come alongside and help the families in our church that are fostering, that are right in the middle of it? How do we help the ones that are on the tail end of it? Because it's all of our responsibility. We just all have different parts of that responsibility. Does that make sense? And so as family, we can come together and we can do this. And so not a, not a drive-by guilting today, but a challenge to say let's continue to be part of this. And where do I want to go today just to give you an outline? I want to quickly remind us of the basis for the sanctity of life. Then I want to look at God's heart and his instructions for the orphans and the fatherless. I want to realize that not everyone is called to necessarily foster, but everyone is called to care and then explore how we do that as a family. So let's dive in. I only have a few minutes before I bring, it, bring up the panel, so um, that's where we're going. Basis for, for sanctity of life. And I'd like to read Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I'm going to put a lot of verses on the screen today. I know we don't often do this, but we're going a lot of different places today, so this will help us get through the material a little quicker. The basis is right in Genesis 1. When, man, when God created male and female, when he created mankind, then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And right from the start, first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, we see that God created mankind, male and female, in his image. And these verses show us there's a distinction between mankind and all other creation. Your cat and your dog were not made in the image of God. They're really cool, but they're pets. Even though your cat thinks you're the pet sometimes, they're pets. They are not made in the image of God. There is something intrinsically different about mankind and how God has created him. With the ability to think and reason, the cognitive ability, with an eternal soul, 
And so as something completely other and something completely different, as mankind with a relational capacity, we are image bearers. We are image bearers of the Creator, of God Almighty, who spoke the universe into existence. Every image bearer is a life that is valuable and worth living. From from conception to the grave, every image bearer is a human life that is valuable and worth defending. See, the value of life is not just some arbitrary value that we place on it. Oh, we really like human beings, so we're going to say they're valuable. If we, if we derive value from ourselves, our value is worthless. But our value is derived from the status and the grandeur and the glory of God himself that can never change, that can never be challenged. That is the basis of the sanctity of human life. If we love and value God, we will honor, protect, and love his image bearers. There is no other way around it. Scripture argues this in several places. In Genesis 9-6, when it's talking about murder, and we can say, well, murder's wrong because it's taking a life. It's violating someone else's rights. Listen to the argument here. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Murder requires a higher penalty because it is destroying someone made in the image of God. James 3.9, talking about our tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And the argument there is, let's not, let's not even go to murder, how you talk to people. When you put someone down, when you gossip about someone, when you, when you criticize them, you are criticizing an image bearer of God. I think about that in marriage. My wife is an image bearer of God. She is a daughter of the king. I best treat the daughter of the king well. Her value is derived from the image of God. And so we value life from conception to death. Today we want to talk about the kids, though. Last time, like I said, we talked about abortion. But what about these helpless kids? Let me give you some stats as to orient ourselves as we look at some of the verses about the fatherless. Um, Some of the stats, and these are based in 2015. I didn't have 2016 stats in. They're not in yet. But the number of kids in America in foster care is about 427,910. Almost 428,000. This gives us a scope of this segment of image bearers that society is forgetting about, but praise God, the church is not. The number that entered foster care in 2015, 269,509. Think of 269,000 little ones that lives have been completely changed and they've entered the, the system this year. Whether it because of abuse or neglect or death or whatever reason. Man, that stirs my heart. Number waiting to be adopted in 2015, 111,820. Largest percentage of those teenagers. A lot of people want to adopt little, little ones, but it's hard for teenagers to get adopted. In fact, most say when they get into their teen years, they know that they probably won't be adopted and they'll just go through the system. And again, I, I, I say this to orient ourselves, to, to help us know that this is an issue worth talking about. If you, if you take those numbers out for how many kids are in America, about one in every hundred are in foster care. 
that need a family, that need love, that need a whole ton of grace. Um, average wait time for adoption of kids in the system is 34 months. Um, the average wait time to be in a foster family is 20 months. So these are, are staggering statistics. And statistics that I'm going to argue today are near and dear to the heart of God. That he cares about, and because he cares about him, his image bearers should care about them. And so we should care about them. And so what is God's heart? What is God's heart concerning the fatherless? And this is where I just want the weight of Scripture to bear on us this morning and to challenge our hearts and the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts. So I'm going to read some Scripture, maybe say a couple things, but not much this morning. Psalm 10, 17 and 18. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. It's interesting what these verses show is God is inclined to the helpless. He's inclined to the fatherless. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. And if we want to understand what it means to incline your ear, just go in the gym afterwards and watch a little kid say, ah, and and see who turns around. Moms have a way and dads have a way of hearing their own children, right? Me, not so much, but but Susie, yes. (laughs) I just hear daddy and it it could be any of your kids. I'm like, yeah. Um, But she knows our kids, right? Because she's inclined her ear and she can pick out Mark Jeffrey or Lisa's in a crowd. And she, and she can know, okay, that cry means this, or that scream means this, or that blood-curdling yell means so-and-so did that. I'm like, wow. That's God to the fatherless. He inclines his ear. He cares. He understands. And he wants justice for the fatherless and the oppressed. Some more verses, a couple that show that God not only listens to them, his heart is not only drawn to them, but his actions match his heart. He takes care of orphans and widows. God takes care of orphans and widows. Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. Some of your translations say aliens. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. In Psalm 68, 5 and 6, and this is the one passage I'd like you to turn to this morning and and open your Bibles. You can turn to more if you want, but open your Bibles or your apps. Turn to Psalm 68, 5 and 6. We'll hit this one a couple times, and this is my key verses for the morning. Psalm 68, 5 and 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one right under the chairs around you somewhere that you're welcome to use. If you don't own a Bible, take that. That's our gift to you. This is God's Word. We want you to have it. Psalm 68, 5 and 6. It's describing God. It says He's the Father of the fatherless, the protector of widows. Do you see how that's more than just caring about them? The Father of the fatherless means He now enters their life and takes care of the problem. He's Dad. He cares enough to become a father to them. A protector of the widows. Those that have lost their husbands in a society where your husbands protected you and provided for you. And says God will fill that role. And you see His care. 
father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And we've probably heard that verse before, but just for fun, scan up a couple verses. Context is so important in God's word. You want to see where is this falling? Verses 1 through 4. Anyone scan there and see what it's talking about? What are verses 1 and one through 4 talking about? You can talk back. God's enemies, okay? These are, these are four verses about God will scatter His enemies. He will protect His people. He will drive them away. And He's a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. And that hit me this week as to the importance of the fatherless and the widows to him, that it's right up there with protecting his nation and driving the enemies away and scattering them. God loves those that are helpless and has special compassion for them. His ear is inclined to them. His eyes look to them. His heart is compassionate toward them. A couple of other verses. Another point in your notes, God wants justice for the helpless, the widow and the fatherless. He wants justice for the helpless. See, these are the ones that are most likely to be taken advantage of by people or society. Exodus 22, 22-24, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Right in the law. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. Are the widow and the helpless and the fatherless important to God? Yeah. Deuteronomy 10, again, the law. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 27, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And the people shall say, Amen. Amen. In Job 22, I don't have the verses there, but Job has just gone through losing his family and his wealth and his life is horrible. And one of his friends comes to you and this tells you how, how much part of culture is, this is. They say, I know why this is happening to you, Job. You've abused the fatherless, haven't you? You've taken advantage of the fatherless and the widow. You haven't followed God's command. So Job's, Job's life was a testimony to what God might do to those that didn't take care of the fatherless and the widow. That's God's heart, and that's just a smidgen of the verses. Let me read a couple of verses about what God's heart for us then is. What, how does God want us to treat the fatherless? And, and the basic answer that summarizes it all is we're to have the heart of God. As image bearers, we're to have the heart of our Father. And we're to care for them. In James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows of their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. As James boils down to walk with God and how to put your faith into action, which is where he's going to go in the next chapter. Putting faith into action means caring for the helpless. Genuinely caring for them. He challenges us to watch out for how they're treated. In Psalm 82, 3 and 4, give justice to the weak and fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. 
Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We'll skip forward. We're to include them in church life. Include them in church life. In Deuteronomy 16, and I'll read verse 11, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And he's talking about coming together to worship. In the Feast of Weeks, in this case, the Harvest Festival, that God has given wheat and, and, and it's good. And he says, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant. So take your whole household together. Then he goes on, The Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you, at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there. And God's instruction, he, he does it for the next festival in verse 14 too, the Feast of Booths. He's saying, look around. And those of you that don't, those that don't have family, bring them. Make them part of family. Take care of the widows. Take care of the childless. Those that are traveling through. We see that God wants us to make sure they're provided for in the gleaning laws. He says, leave some of your harvest. Leave some of the olives. Leave some of the grapes. And he specifically says, for the fatherless and for the widows. Every third year, God instructed them to give an extra 10% tithe just for those that are helpless to meet their needs. Can you see the heart of God? And He wants us to be acting on this. In Psalm 68, which you still have your open in your Bibles, verse 6 God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. For God to settle the solitary in a home, there has to be homes. And so He wants us to provide those homes. And so what do we do? We see God's heart. We see that God wants us to have His heart. We sang this morning about being adopted, and I have several verses there about adoption that we are all adopted. This is something that should be on all of our hearts because none of us are natural born into God's family. Every one of us has been plucked from sin and darkness and through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross adopted into the King of Kings family. That should be motivation enough. And so what do we do? How do we protect these little ones that are helpless and so scarred by our Genesis 3 world? That's where I'd like to invite our panel up. So those of you that I've asked to come up, would you come up and join me? Because I want to hear some of their stories. And as family, how do we help each other? And and one of the things we have to consider is that if we're family, we've got to be able to discuss this. And we've got to have open discussions. What's hard about fostering? What's hard about adoption? What's great about it? And, And one of the questions I'm going to ask them is, how can we help you? Really, how can we truly help you Because if we don't know how to help, we can have the the greatest motivations and intentions in the world, but we need to know what to do with that. And so we're going to ask some questions here. And um, I'll introduce you guys. I figure I'd let you sit first so I can see what order you sat in. Um, This is Chris Bowlby. And Chris and Lauren have fostered. And in fact, this weekend, am I correct in that? Foster daughter came back into your home. And so that's why Lauren isn't up here with us. She's in the middle of the, the battle here. She's on, on the front lines. And so um, he, currently in it. Um, Stephanie here is, and I'm assuming since you said yes, I can tell your stories a little bit. <laughs> um, Stephanie is adopted. And so we have a couple here, Stephanie and Kristen over here. They were adopted. I, want to, I wanted us to hear from, from two that are, are now adults that have experienced the joys and the benefits of adoption. 
Um, we have Bill and Liana Wilson, and they have fostered, adopted, and a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of times, right? And so I wanted you guys up here because you provide some um, experience to this and some people that have done this a long time and can look back and say, this is what helped and, and this is how you can pray for us. Um, and then we have Andrew and Amy um, on staff here, one of our pastors, and they are also in the middle of fostering. And you have little, a little boy in your house. He's not little. <laughs> Along with your own two little ones, yeah, he is a tank, and um, <laughs> and so that I just wanted to give us a wide spectrum of experience to hear from this morning. First question I want to ask you guys, and, and again, not every one of you has to answer every question. There's a couple microphones that you guys can pass around, and so anyone that wants to answer can. Um, what led you to foster or adopt? What what motivated you to to go down this path? But somebody does have to answer. Liana. <laughs> I'll break the ice. Um, okay, so what motivated us to foster or adopt? For me personally, we kind of came to it separate uh, from each other, but I heard something on the radio about the need, and I heard a um, girl who was being fostered and had been in some really, really bad situations, and she was on the radio, and she was making a plea and asking if you were in a good evangelical Christian home if you could open up your home to be a foster parent because she had some figures there that if just one family in every church in America did that, all these kids would be in great homes. So I kind of thought about that, and I thought, you know what, I think I could do that. And at the same time, he was listening to another radio broadcast (laughs) that had something like that, and he was thinking about it too, you know. So we decided, kind of apart from each other, that we would go out to dinner and kind of spring this on the other one at the same time. (laughs) So so when we went to Chinese food, you know, so the whole time I was a little worried. I don't really want to say anything. So we ate our whole dinner, you know. We got to the fortune cookie. We opened the fortune cookie, and it said, a small stranger will soon come into your life. <laughs> so that broke the ice. That's how we got there. Thank you. Thank you. Just to add on to that a little bit, and it was one of those moments of clarity of, that God is actually talking to you that I, yeah. I went through. Uh, I know in, in life, you know, every day you, you feel God's presence and all that, but I was at work, and uh, I don't know if I told you this story, but I was watching 2020 at the same time. Uh, that the radio programs and the foster care agencies were coming into church and all that. And I'm over in the corner, if anybody doesn't know, I'm a fireman. Uh, I'm over in the corner at the fire station, and I'm just crying, trying not to let the other guys see me uh, crying. I'm just like, oh, man. All right, I I hear (laughs) you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? I think for me it was we also kind of had different um, draws towards it, but for me it kind of came down to um, why shouldn't we foster? Um, I think that I'd heard a lot of stories of other families that they'd always felt this draw to foster or adopt, and I was like, yeah, I've never felt that at all. (laughs) uh, So maybe I'm not. It's fine. Um, and it just, the Lord provided a home for us that had an extra bedroom. 
and then um, we actually lost two babies. Um, and so just the Lord working through that, um, helping me to understand that it doesn't necessarily have to be this like big, huge word from God. I mean, that's a pretty cool story about the fortune cookie that confirmed it. But for me, it was a several years process of just realizing, like, I think God has called our family. And it's not that it was, uh, are we called, are we called, are we called? It was a kind of a reverse, like, why shouldn't we do this? Is there a reason why we shouldn't do this? Because we know that the need is great. We are in a position where we can. Um, and then it was a convincing this guy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, let me jump to the two that, that were adopted. What did adoption mean to you? What, is it, what has it meant to you? <laughs> yeah, you can't pass the microphone on this one. <laughs> Would either of you like to share? Uh, adoption meant that I had security. Um, And it brought me to a place where I learned that not only did my security come from my parents, but they taught me about this God. And I was like, what is this God? (laughs) And and, um, I went to camp because my parents are camp counselors. And um, I wasn't even old enough to be there. And I remember them talking about your security being in God. So not only did I learn that I had security in having a family, Um, because I wasn't adopted until later in my life, Um, I found security first in God, and that God was my security and my stability, and that's what, from a very young age, I was looking for, because my life wasn't stable, and the people in my life were not stable, and they were making promises and doing things that they, they didn't end up fulfilling, and so I kept feeling let down by people, and, um, I just remember feeling like God was talking to me and telling me, you know, I'm stable and I will always be there no matter where you are. And so that's kind of what adoption meant for me. It meant stability. And not only was I adopted by my parents later in life, but I was adopted by God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, I was adopted from birth. So adoption to me meant um, that my my birth mother was, was a teenager. So... I mean, that's not very rarely is that a positive situation to be in. So for me, growing up, always knowing that I was adopted, um, it meant that I was wanted, Mm. that my parents wanted me and that God wanted me. And that's kind of an amazing thing to, to look back, you know, now as an adult and even as, you know, a, a young child to look back and go, Okay, so maybe I wasn't brought about in the traditional way, but I was still wanted. And my birth mother loved me enough that she knew that she couldn't take care of me, but somebody could. Mm -hmm. Mm. Amen. Thank you, guys. Tears are okay. This is a subject that brings up a lot of tears and emotion, and rightfully so, because it's God's heart, too. Um, what has been, and this can be for anyone, what has been ama- one of the most amazing things about the process of fostering, adopting, being adopted? And what has been some of the challenges? What's some of the hardest things? And this is where we get a little more personal, I know, and, and share just what you feel like you, you want to. But for us, I think we need to hear some of this to know how to care. 
if we, if we don't know what the real situation is, it's hard to care. So amazing thing, challenges. Amy and I talked uh, about uh, this, I think, last night, and um, it was hard to think of something amazing. It was a whole lot easier to think of challenges. <laughs> um, and I think you could hear lots of different stories from different people with different ages. Um, it would look a lot different, I think. Um, I mean, some really practical challenges are just time. Your time is gone. <laughs> um, filling out form after form after form. Um, having to just rearrange schedules and run all over the county trying to get places is just inherently challenging. Yeah. And then trying to figure out um, if Amy's going to be there at this time, does someone need to pick up the kid, at the other kid at this time, and who can take care of this kid? And I think some kid's going to get left behind if we don't get some help here. So at um, some point, you know, we got to – I've heard that dishes need to be done every once in a while and, and laundry and work, stuff like that. So um, we, I think we kind of came down to um, the amazing stuff is more observing and observing him in our home. And I'm get, what'd you say? An attachment. <laughs> um, his attachment to, to us, to complete strangers. We had actually had uh, another little baby in our home and had given him back to his parents. And I think like two hours later, we got a phone call that there was another little guy who needed a home. <laughs> well, here we go again. <laughs> um, so we picked him up at Orangewood and... You know, there. here's this little boy that we just met. A, not a little boy, a large little man. Um, um, by the way, if you're wondering what we're talking about, you can hold him afterwards and see what we're talking about. <laughs> Thank you. The kind of more on the amazing thing. Um, agreed. We did have a hard time coming up with amazing things. But he's also in an age where... He's learning and growing so much, which is normal for his age. But when he first came to us, he could barely crawl. And he wouldn't hold on to us when we held him. It was like sack of potatoes, which was like a 27-pound sack of potatoes. <laughs> um, but just seeing him attaching so well to us, and it's another challenging thing because we also have visits with his biological parents every week, and he doesn't respond to them the same way he responds to us which is telling, but heartbreaking at the same time. And it just, it's just this jumbled mix of emotions that as the like foster mom, who he really is attached to me, but he goes to mom, his biological mom, it's just a, a really interesting, amazing, challenging, I mean, it, it is the world of foster care, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think something, th something you said at the beginning is really key. Sometimes it's easier to think of the challenges before the amazing things. And I can remember that. I can remember going through that and feeling a little guilt. Like, this is supposed to be amazing. I'm, this is supposed to be easy. But I hate this right now. <laughs> and, and overcoming that guilt to realize God covers that too. And, and God gives us the strength for that. So thank you for sharing that. I'll go. Um, the second time our girl came back to us, it was like three or four days after we got back from uh, the hospital having our son. And that was pr probably the most scared we were, and I have been about this whole process. Um, but the moment she was back with us 
it felt so right. Um, so that's one check on the amazing. Uh, another amazing is uh, the the feeling of trust when she hugs you. That wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, great things. A challenge is that um, a lot of times things get drawn out through this process, and uh, it's not quick and easy. Honestly, because the parents love them. Birth parents love them, and so it's really hard to figure out because you don't know. Where should she be? So that's been a hard spot for me because I don't know. Thank you for being being open. Thank you. Anyone else? Great things, challenges? One of the things that uh, that might help is uh, when we first started going through this, I was talking to a guy up on a ski lift and and, hey, we just got these kids, and, and uh, you know, their future is not known. We don't know if they're going to be here tomorrow or the next day or whatever. And he was a counselor for uh, the county of Los Angeles. And he goes, you know what? Worry about today. Hmm. They're safe today, and they're loved today. Tomorrow, you don't know. He wasn't a religious man, but, you know, that's what God tells us, too. Since we got you today, so... That helps quite a bit. Um, the challenges, uh, uh, we have uh, two children, Dominic and Stephanie. We've had several others in, in the home, uh, 14, and uh, uh, multiracial and all that. Uh, this is a, a challenging story that Liana went through. Um, our son Dominic was having a fit at Target uh, over in He's black. And so Liana would just remove him from uh, whatever was setting him off at the time. So he, she picks him up, throws him over the shoulder, walks out to the car, gets in the car, gets home, is met by the PD. Target got the license plate, thank goodness, and said this lady was kidnapping this kid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's geeking out. And uh, so, anyways, they. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, Stephanie can probably tell a little bit more about the story because I was not there, but uh, they, they pulled up, guns drawn, and, and, you know, put the kid down and all that stuff. So challenges like that will come up. Uh, the legal system. <laughs> I didn't know you were arrested, Liana. Because people don't understand. and be, Yeah, exactly. She wasn't arrested. I saved the day. <laughs> they asked us if that was our mom, and I was like, yes, that's our mom. <laughs> and they asked us if we were safe, and I was like, yeah, we're safe. Kind of an amazing thing is out of the helplessness is um, the dependence on God. So sometimes when I'm feeding Nathaniel or putting him to bed, or just sitting there with him, um, I just pray because I don't know where he's going. I'm not sure what's happening. And so just um, because God knows and God loves him, 
uh, better and more completely than I. And God will keep loving him if, he, if we never see him again. Um, just to pray for him in his life. Um, and so then you're, you're, you're pleading and you're begging um, God because you absolutely have no control over the situation. And that's amazing to be in that position um, because um, that means that I have to just say, oh, I have to admit and confess that I'm not as great as I think I am and I'm not in control and God is. And so that's, that's a good thing Amen. eventually to get there. Amen. One of the things that I heard through all of you is the uncertainty is something to understand, that we need to understand about people in our church family doing this is the uncertainty of the, where the kid will be tomorrow, where the child will be tomorrow, um, how God is using this. Sometimes you may not even see the results of your efforts until years down the road, um, but it makes a difference. We're running out of time quickly. Um, so I, I need to ask where, where I want to go, the, the, the big question. How can the church family help you? How can the church family... And, and, I, <laughs> and the microphones disappear. No. <laughs> and I'd like to hear from everyone. I, I, I know Kristen and Stephanie are like... Uh, so even for you guys, how can the church help adopted kids? Um, my kid, two of mine are adopted, so please... <laughs> Help me help them too. But how can the church help you fostering? How can the the church help you adopting? Um, We need to know. And and be as tangible as you want, um, as practical as you want. Free babysitting. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Free babysitting. Yeah, because um, it's draining. For me, I mean, I have two biological daughters and then one foster child and... I don't know if everybody knows this. I'm also expecting another one due in July. Um, So we're very excited, but we're praying a lot. Um, But just going to the grocery store, Nathaniel, because he's really big, he can reach really far. So I'm like, I'm just going to put my cart in the very center of the aisle while I'm getting, you know. Um, And my two little helper girls are good helpers sometimes and other times not so much so yeah so free babysitting <laughs> thank you someone else um, from the adopted now adult side of it um, to like when a family is fostering or has ado- now finished the adoption process um, they're, they're your kids like they're not the adopted child it's no, no, no. They belong to you. They are your kids, and they're they're no different than bio children. Amen. That's just what like, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just to go a tiny bit further is, um, in, in these families that have foster children, we, as the rest of the community here, need to make sure that those kids don't get left behind. Like in our programs, Awanas, Sunday school, and stuff like that, we need to make sure that they're keeping in the system with us, that we're not kind of just leaving them behind and thinking, well, they're not going to be here very long, and it's, it's okay. We, I think we're doing a good job of it here. I see it, but we just have to keep that in the back of our mind. These kids aren't disposable or dispensable. They, we need to put them at the front of the line even maybe in front of our own 
biological children because God sees them in the, in the front. Hmm. Thank you. Stephanie. And to add to what Kristen just said, um, even when before they're adopted, um, I feel like you just need to treat them as a part of whosoever family they're a part of. So if they're a part of the Gilmore's family, then they are a Gilmore, no matter what their last name says, or no matter if they have them for five days or for two years or for in a couple of hours, that they are part of that family. I know for myself, um, I was told a lot of times that I, that wasn't my family or that I was the foster kid or something like that. So I think it's really important to just treat them like they, that is their family, that's who they were born to, and, um, yeah. You guys have also been really good to us on food, so thank you. <clears throat> that comes from Lauren, too. Um, I think uh, keep in mind that it's a totally different game uh, with these kids, and so we're going to parent them differently. Um, they don't have a basis of trust because um, they've been moved. And so a lot of the things that you might see us do is different. Um, tonight, or today, I might go home right after this. Um, instead of saying, no, you can, you can learn to play in Sunday school play room, whatever that is. Um, uh, and I don't know what all the calls are going to be, um, but we have to kind of gauge it as things come up. Um, but it is a different thing um, to work with a child that you haven't grown up with and that hasn't grown up with you. Um, so if you guys could just kind of keep that in your minds. Um, sometimes we have to make calls or do different parenting things that it wouldn't be our first natural thing, um, but we have to really be thinking about where they're coming from. That's huge. Thank you, Chris. We, we need to wrap up, um, and I hope this has been helpful and starts a conversation. Um, I'd like to end with maybe just two or three of you. What is something we can pray for you about for your heart, for your strength? Any prayer requests? I know this is the one question that wasn't on the list. <laughs> Some of the things I've heard is um, pray for even wisdom of how to deal with each situation. Um, because you're right, that trust isn't there. Sometimes there's attachment disorders. Sometimes, who knows what all is there? And sometimes certain laws constrain certain things that um, it's just hard to know what to do a lot of times. Um, you know, I, I, at times in talking to each of you, know that you've been tired. And it's been overwhelming at times. And so I pray for your hearts and your souls to, to bear up under that, that God would give the strength um, for that. I praise God for some of you that have, um, man, so diligently loved my kids. And, um, and for you guys that have so diligently loved my kids and not ever treated them as, as different or other. And um, let me pray for you guys. I won't make you answer that. Let me, let me pray for you guys. Lord God, 
we see in Scripture over and over, and we just got a, a smattering of verses this morning, that you have a heart for the helpless, that you have a heart for those that are, are um, in need of fathers, of parents. Lord, just as you have a heart for the widows that, that are alone and the strangers in our midst that are alone, alone, Lord, help us to capture your heart. Lord, help us as a church family to love each other and to support each other and to consider this fostering and adopting as a family that some happen to be on the front lines and some of us are support staff and we're praying and encouraging and um, doing everything we can to, as a church family, bring more people into our family. Thank you, God, for the heart of village. I see such a heart for the young and the helpless ones. Um, I pray that you would foster that heart and help it to grow and help us to know better and better each day how to um, reach these little ones. In your name, amen.